Welcome to a series of netcasts brought to you by Yale University. Hello, my name is Kelly Brownell, and I'm the director of the Rudd Center for Food Policy and Obesity at Yale University. Before introducing today's guest for this podcast, I'd like to welcome you to uh, the Rudd Center and invite you to, to visit our website at www.yaleruddcenter.org for a list of a variety of resources we have, including a list of other podcasts that we've recorded with visitors to the Rudd Center, a free email newsletter about food and food policy, uh, and other resources. I'm delighted to welcome our guest today, Dr. Alberto Cormajat, who hails from Argentina. Dr. Cormajat is a very prominent figure in Argentina, having worked on issues of diet, nutrition, obesity, and public policy for many years in that country. Uh, although it's hard to believe, he single-handedly founded the Argentinian version of Overeaters Anonymous, founded the Argentinian version of Weight Watchers, has an established programs in universities, and has a very impressive treatment center himself for dealing with overweight people. Uh, he has been very influential in legal circles in Argentina, having been influential recently in having a law passed in Argentina to get obesity covered in the medical care world. Uh, and he's also a very prominent public figure appearing on television or radio nearly every day in that country talking about health and nutrition related issues. So welcome, Alberto. Thank you. Thank you for the introduction. Uh, for me, it's an honor to be here. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm very happy to have you here and congratulations for all you've been able to accomplish. Let's uh, go back to the beginning in the 1960s when you first became interested in dealing with the obesity problem. What were people thinking about obesity in Argentina at that time? It uh, was not an illness. and uh, It was the moral view, the police view. It's a sin. You have to steal food. And they attack people if they are overweight. Or it's only a aesthetical problem, and that's it. Or hormonal, hormonal problem. And then the physicians gave the people any time of any any type of pills, combinations, thyroid, amphetamines, diuretics, laxative, uh, gland extracts with no effects and things like this. Similar to what was happening at that time in the mm -hmm. United States. So how did you decide to uh, move ahead in dealing with the obesity issue in your country? Uh, it, it was a, some, a coincidence because a, a doctor from Uruguay, before I, I finished my career, told me obesity is a, is a psychosomatic disease. And I, I was attracted by the idea of psychosomatic because I didn't study psychology in the university. They were only psychiatry. And we were we went to the hospices, to the psychiatric hospital, and we see just crazy people. And there is not nothing in the middle. You are in health or crazy. Um, and then I, I started to, to study psychosomatic medicine. I, I have still the book, Wise and English, a fantastic book. And it, opened my mind and I, I started to see what was going on with the, f why endocrinologist has to treat obese people if, if no, nobody showed that it's something glandular, it's an endocrinologic problem. And there were no, no books, no journals, and no congress and no meetings, and just a few papers that very difficult to find in Argentina and I start 
to go into the field little by little. Okay, so you did a good, a great deal of reading, um, a great deal of thinking about the obesity issue, and then what were some of the first steps that you took? The, f- the first steps were I, I started to learn to read English because if you don't read English, you are illiterate. Um, I started to travel to, to the States, mostly, to all the world, but mostly to the, to, to the States, to different universities and hospitals and communities. And my, my first connection was with some people who do some research in obesity. And I, I went to visit Dr. Duncan, who, who worked with the total fasting in, the, in Pennsylvania Hospital in the 60s. I went to Mayo Clinic. I, I was looking for answers in different places, but the the most important is when I when I met AA, when Al- I Alcoholics Alcoholics Anonymous. Anonymous. The first time I, I went to a AA meeting in in Argentina, and I read the material in 1966, was it opened my my mind, and I realized what is a chronic disease and the difference between cure and recovery, what is chronicity, and then. I start to talk with the AA people. I start to come to, to the States, to the National Council on Alcoholism, to different places, Hasselden, Chit Chat, New York University, different places that work with, the, at the beginning with alcoholism. I take the, I understand the 12 steps, the self-help. And, and after the alcoholism, I start to, to learn about all addictions, gambling, smoking, and drugs, and I, I took part of many, many programs in this country, and in 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 this in these addictions. And I found I brought these programs to Argentina. The first program for stop smoking I took from American Cancer Society, and I bring to Argentina. And the first program in gamblers I took for Argentina. And the first professional alcoholism group uh, I I put in Argentina. But I took from the states, and I adapt to, to my country. I, I bring the material, the information, the Congress, and... And this and information that you had about addiction uh, became the basis for you founding a, one particular group in Argentina, wasn't it? Yeah, uh, when I decided in 67, after I met AA in 66, and I decided in 67, I started with 20 people, to talk about uh, to making a group based in AA principles. And the name was ALCO, it's Association, Association de Lucha Contra la Obesidad. That means Association Against, Fighting Against ob- Obesity. And we started in 1967 with one group that works in a garage in, a, in, in our clinic. And three, four years ago, after, started in a, in a church, the first group. And after that, it replaced in different parts. And now we have 700 groups with 30 to 50,000 people. So from one group with 20 people to 700 groups all around Argentina and in several other countries as yeah, well. Yeah, in Uruguay, Paraguay. We have now in Miami. We have in, in Spain, in Australia. In, they are opening one in Japan. People do, is Ar- from Argentina and goes to, and we help many many Argentinians who live in in abroad by mail, in the internet. 
And in this group, we work with the, f with the patient, with the family of the patients, and we have alquitos, that means for children. And there, there is a program that is for the, for the children and for the family. At the same time, we, we do the, the groups. And we have 700 groups for, for adults, and for children, we have 150. That is, is a, we, we have to improve, but it's, it's, it's okay. That's really remarkable. Yeah. Now, you're, you were the first one I know of anywhere in the world that started a group for the families of overweight people who were going through programs to try to help them with their weight. Um, and when I first heard about that, I thought it was very novel, and I still believe it is. How important is it uh, to have the families involved? It's important. We, we took the idea from Alanon, the family of alcoholics. They, they, they have done a very, very good job. And then we teach the people first to, to give support, uh, not to push to the, to the obese. Be, be in part, but not make the diet instead of, of the person. If you are not obese, you, you don't have to make the diet, but you have to help. But you, one thing is to give somebody a hand, and other thing is when you put the hand on somebody, and it's, it's different to lend a hand and, and so give order. The idea is to be supportive but not intrusive. To be supportive but not intrusive. And you know, I learned when my daughter has 15, he started to lose weight. And I, from 15 to 20, I did all the mistakes somebody can make to try to make her lose weight. And after that, I learned and, and stopped to talking. And at 25, since she decided to lose weight, and she lose weight and was fantastic for five years, and then she relapsed. But it wasn't any more an issue between us. Right. And now she decided to have a bypass, but was by herself. Right. Impressive. Now, you, you've also uh, initiated a group or founded a group called uh, Dieta Club. Dieta Club. Diet yeah. Club. When we, when we started in 67, Alco, and, and the, at the end of the 70s, people say, okay, Alco is not enough, a self-help group. We need something more professional. And then we start to train recovered people to train these people and to work in, in different places, to, to hire a, a place for two or three hours and doing a group. But after a while, we start to put nutritionists, psychologists, and we develop a, a program with, it's a professional program, no physicians, nutritionists, psychologists, health educators, and physical activity professors. And start with four, five, six. I, I, I was working with the first groups. I, I have done the first groups in different neighborhoods. And then start another people to learn how to work in the neighborhoods. At the beginning, the idea was doing it in a, in, a, in a bus. In a bus? Like, in a bus. So you'd have a classroom on wheels? Yeah, on wheels. And I presented the project in the International Congress on Obesity in Rome in the in 1980, but didn't work because it was a govern, military government in our country didn't allow me to do in a bus, and then we started doing in, in houses. And now we have more than 100 
places in the, in the whole country. And what we give is the training to the people. We have permanent training and supervision, and the people run the places in the administration. But what we run is the the program. No. Okay. Yeah. Very impressive. Now you. All this fits into a model that you have of how to best deal with obesity at the national level. And I know part of the model is delivering service to people near where they live and helping them out with uh, whatever money they have available to them. And because yes, because alcohol is almost free. Right. If, if you can afford it, you, you can pay $1 each time you go, once a week. The, most of the people can afford $1. But if you say... I don't have the money, you can go f for free. And then Dieta Glue is a little bit more expensive, and we have in the medium and e an internet program that is, in, is less expensive than Dieta Glue, and then we have the clinic. But in the clinic, we have a regular private uh, treatment, and, but we have two days with low, very, very low rates because there are many, many people with low income who come to the clinic, and if you come to the clinic, we give you treatment, whatever you can pay. Well, that's very impressive to have mm. a, a private, uh, high-level clinic like you have and take in some people without having to pay at all. That's very impressive. Yeah, we start with, with Saturdays, because the clinic doesn't work on Saturdays. I say, I'm going to, I'm going to make it work on Saturday, and I start with a low, very low, price, a low rate to, to people to, to pay, and it's the fullest day in the week. And they, we organize also part of the Mondays, and perhaps we are going to open on Sundays. Mm. I know you've also been in, involved in uh, getting an important law passed in Argentina yeah. dealing with obesity. Could you explain the history of that? I, in 19... 89, I was congressman for one day because oh, I, I resigned because I, I was asked to, go to, to be the Minister of Health of Buenos Aires City. And then in this day, I present a law, a project, that obesity should be declared as a disease. Obesity and alcoholism, both, didn't work. And since then, I work with different congressmen and present five times different projects. But the last time I was working with the, with the, Senate, with the Senate and the, with the deputies, mm -hmm. and three years ago we, we started a program, a reality show, for people to lose weight. They have to lose weight 1% a week. So and a tele television show. A, a television show. Mm -hmm. And people, is living in the, people live in the clinic, and they tape the, the diet, the exercise, the groups, the counseling, the everyday life. And then in the afternoon, we have a show uh, at, in, in life, and we discuss different events of the life of the, of, of the people. And I propose the producers to, f to start to fight to get the law, to say that obesity is, is a disease. And then in, nine, in 207, we went to the Congress. We made a call people to go to do a big meeting in front of the Congress to ask for the law. And we get about 10, 15,000 people. So 10 or 15,000 people you mobilize from yeah. around the country through television. Through television. Right. Yeah. Uh, to come to, to uh, put pressure on your Congress yeah. to pass this bill. Yeah. 
and we we did it twice, 2006 and 2007. Mm -hmm. In 2007, the idea of one of the producers was make shaking the Congress. Shaking the Congress. And then everybody jumped at one time, six o'clock, everybody was jumping. And in this time, we were about between 15 and 20,000 people jumping at the same time. Jumping to shake Congress. Yeah, to shake Congress. And with a seismograph. A seismograph. A seismograph, yeah. And the, the seismograph shows that it's shaking. <laughs> <laughs> All that people shaking at the same time. It was interesting. And and they, they, they Congress said, okay, <laughs> we will pass the law. And because we, 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 we said next year it will be the same. And many people call and they say, you have to stop this, it's not necessary. But it was necessary. It, it was necessary because if not, we, we didn't have the law. That's so, it's so impressive. The, the image of shaking up Congress is a very powerful one. And the fact that you were able to mobilize so many people is interesting. And this is the first case I've heard about ever of um, getting together a sizable group of overweight people uh, to become a political force to try to, to pressure legislators to pass a law. Yeah, it, it, it was impressive. Many of the people were people from the, one of our organizations, the Self-Help ALCO. But many was people of the public who, and we get about half a million sign, people who sign. Half a million to sign a petition. A petition. In favor of the law. Yeah. So do you think having all those people demonstrate in public was an important part part of getting the law passed? Yes, because what what we, what happened after the program, after this program, all the programs and all the newspapers take the news and repeat, show, and show the people shaking. And I, I was shaking and, every, and everybody on the stage was shaking in front of the Congress and the people. And it was something interesting because it was a good idea. And then the repetition, the repetition, you need the law, we need the law. And we have a lot of, of support of the, of the media, the radios and the, all every different TV programs and newspapers and magazines, we have the media support, yeah. And what was the nature of the law itself? What, what did the law say? There, there, there are two aspects. The first, obesity is a disease and should be covered in the health services. We have different health services, but there is no training in the university, no service in the hospitals, and in the social security system that is different than yours, but in the social security system, this is, you said you're obese, it's not a disease. Now this is a disease. And uh, now we have 40 days, 45 days more to, to make the implementation. We are working, I am working, and my group are working with other people to, to say how, because Many people want to get surgery. It's impossible because we don't have enough money, uh, surgeons, and and equipment to 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 operate to to make surgery of all the people who need. And then should be something that should go step by step, little by little. No, and what type of treatment? What type of medication? What percentage of the medication will be? 
covered by the by the private companies, the private insurance or the social insurance. And this is one part. The other part is what to do in the schools. They have to do nutritional education. And in some way, they have to start to take care of what happened in the school cantinas. Because there is today only food for make you fat. And that's... Uh, uh, sweet drinks and snacks, everything fattening. But you know, the first law has something that has to be in the, in the labels. The excess of calories and sugar and fat could be bad for your health. When you go to the deputies, they can take out sugar because they say, you cannot demonize sugar because sugar is good. In Argentina, people consume 45 kilos per person per year. It's too much. We can't export. We are only 1% of the world business of, of sugar. And we can export much more. We don't need to eat all the sugar we produce. Okay. Is a lot of the sugar coming in beverages and drinks? Yeah, a lot, a lot. And then when go to the Senate, the Senate take out the fat and say the excess of calories is bad to your health. And when they go to the to the presidents, they take out the label and say, it's convenient that you eat good. That everybody agrees. <laughs> <laughs> it's not convenient to eat bad. It's, it's something about the... By, I, I was happy, but the, the best law is the law that you, you can pass. And you have... We have at least, we have a law. It's a very good start. It's, it's, it's a very good start. Mm, very good start. You have a start. If, if, if you want the perfect law, you lose. You have to negotiate. Right. And I, I, I give my applause to the legislator who approved the law the, law the way it is. Well, good. Congratulations. That's mm -hmm. a, a real victory given that it took a number of years for this to actually take place. And 19. 19. And the fact that you mobilized so many people yeah. to make this happen, that's really a wonderful sign. Um, let me ask you about uh, your, your use of television and radio. I, and many people who are professionals are skeptical of television and radio and don't yeah. trust them. Um, and others believe that the television and the radio and the media can be a very powerful way to communicate to the public. You obviously believe that. Absolutely. Uh, because you're, you're such a prominent public figure in Argentina. What led you to believe that these can be a very powerful way to communicate to the public? And how do you use them to, for maximum benefit? Uh, first, I, I, I have a, a staff of... 12 person who manage information. And everything I'm going to say on TV and radio or in any public place, I have the information. And if, for instance, I work for many years in, in the news, for instance, uh, at noon, and they call me at 10 and they say, you have to talk about this. And I put five or six persons to look information, and I call to my friends, specialists in, in this issue, and then I have the scientific information, the practical information of, of my friends, my colleagues, and then 
my, my skill is to put this in a friendly package. Short, friendly, and good illustration. I, this, is, this is the skill I, I developed in this 40, more than 40 years working, working on TV. But the must be evidence-based because when the people make a comment at home or with the doctors, other doctors say, this is okay. They, they don't fight with me because if you are fighting with me, you are fighting with the American Cancer Society or the American Heart Association or the American Dietetical Association. It's, it's not with me. It's so you a, take a you take a great deal of care in checking out facts before you talk to, talk about yeah, them on yeah. television. Yeah, I, I am. I check information till the last minute. Now with the mobile internet, I'm getting papers till the last minute. Papers and papers and papers and meta-analysis and whatever my people is. There are five or six people looking for information. Yeah. And translating, they don't send all the information. Some of them make a compact of the information. And then I decided what to say, what is convenient or what is not convenient. No? I, most of the time, I, I succeed. So do you have any... Uh feeling for how powerful this an impact this has had at the you know in your country of all the television and radio appearances and things you've done and all the attempts you've made to communicate information we, we measure we, we we made a survey like a poll with a, yeah, yeah with a, with a serious company um, they find an impact in preoccupation on health and the proposition of Dusansit about their own health and how to see the the obesity as an illness before and after the program. And it's dosage dependent. People who see the program once or twice a week is not as strong the change as people who see the program more more often. A, a lot of anecdotal evidence, no? But you know, about eight or ten years ago, we have a cholera, instead of cholera ep epidemic. Cholera is a, a virus that comes with the with the water. Oh, okay. A virus. And I don't remember the name in English. Cholera, and uh, is the pr produce a diarrhea that can be f fatal. Okay. They, you can die. And the TV start to say you have to to drink only clean water or or put some drops or something or or heating the, the water, all the, the ways to to make the water safe. And in, in 10 days, stop the epidemic, just six persons die. And it, it was the power of the, the TV is very powerful. The TV make you smoke, the TV make you eat fat, drink soft drinks, and the TV can make you change your habit for good. I think it's a very powerful instrument. Good. Well, you've certainly proven that to be the case. What? How big of a problem is obesity in Argentina now? We have in the in a, in a serious survey that has done for the Ministry of Health that finished last year. We have about fifty percent. Fifty percent. Fifty percent between overweight and obesity. Fifty yeah. percent. Okay. Very um, very large number of people affected. Yeah, twenty million among the 40 million. And in the children, 
is different ages between 10 and 20 percent. We cannot compare because it's the first time that we have a very serious with many, many, many people involved in the, in you know, the study. In, in the United States, the, the obesity problem is most severe among people who are poor. Is that true in Argentina as well? Is that true? I, I work many times in the, in the poverty, in Islam neighborhoods, and they fried everything. They, they use a lot of oil for everything. And the, the attitude is you, you have to feel full. You have to fill your stomach. And they, they don't have the knowledge, they don't relate much what they eat with the heart attack. And, and it's, it's a shame, but in Argentina, there is more than 30% of people in poverty, and we produce food for 400 million, about, and there are 30, 40% of the people who can afford for a good diet. And even if they can afford, they don't have the education to, to do a good, a, a good diet. No? So I'm assuming that in Argentina, food prices have risen in, in the past year or so, like they have around the world, with uh, <clears throat> high energy prices and other things. Food prices in the United States and other places have gone up quite a bit. Has, has that happened in Argentina as well? Yeah, for the for the for the good food, vegetables and fruits. Right. Uh, this is these are expen more expensive than fats and bread and potatoes and the things that are fattening, yeah. Right, so you've anticipated my question. In the United States, some people have speculated that the high food prices might help with the obesity problem because food would be more expensive and people wouldn't be able to buy it. But in fact, we think the opposite will be the case because people who are poor, because food prices have gone up, will have to buy the least expensive foods, and those are the highly processed highly packaged foods that tend to be most calorie-dense and have the fewest nu nutrients. Yeah, it's the same in Argentina. The same in Argentina. In, in Argentina, people eat, eat uh, wheat, white wheat, and derivates, and, and oils, and butter, and fat in, right. in different ways. Fries. And fast food. Uh, and fast food. And the French fries is the only vegetable that know um, Argentine children, many Argentine children. And many people skip breakfast. Many, many people skip breakfast. And this is also related with the obesity, not, not having breakfast. Yeah. Well, it's been wonderful having you join us and telling us about all the wonderful you've, work you've accomplished in Argentina. So congratulations for the, the programs that you've founded there. Congratulations for the number of people you've touched for the fact that you've been able to change the law in your country. It, it's been very impressive. So thank you for joining us. Thank you, Gary. Thank you for your invitation. So our guest today was Dr. Alberto Cormajat from Buenos Aires, Argentina, a physician who's had an impressive history of creating programs in his country for dealing with the obesity problem. I uh, invite you to visit our website at www.yalerudcenter.org to see a list of the other podcasts we have um, to be able to subscribe to our free email newsletter and to see the other resources available at the Rudd Center. Thank you.